to turn your Bible to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 tonight. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go through one chapter today, verses 2, because this one chapter, today's chapter, chapter 7, and then next week's chapter, chapter 8, really prepare our heart for really prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. So we're going to be doing these next two weeks is that after the study, right after, we're going to just do one, one chapter to give us more time so that we can spend a little time of prayer right after the message. So we're at Ezra chapter 7, and this is a very important time or important piece uh, here in Ezra because now Ezra actually gets introduced. <laughs> after six chapters of talking about the history of now Jerusalem, uh, of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, now, in the seventh chapter, you see Ezra come on the scene. We talked over the first six verses last week, and we noticed that Ezra, and we studied, we learned that Ezra means helper. And Ezra is a type of the Holy Spirit here now at chapter 7 that's going to usher in the Word of God. And we always know, if you want the work of God to continue, you must allow the Word of God to also have its own work, right? And it's so important because we need, just like we need the Word of God, we also need the Holy Spirit. And we see the blessing that comes in obedience right here. The blessing in obedience. You want to know that there, you know, you see the, the hand of God in your life. You want to experience the hand of God in your situation. Then it requires that you give yourself wholly over to the Lord to see His hand. Lord, you want to see your hand upon us? Then we have to ask for His Word inside us. And that's what Ezra did. Ezra had the hand of God upon him because the Word of God was inside of him. He loved the Word of God. And we see as he is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, we, we learn one thing. If the Bible is the sword, then the Spirit is the power behind the sword. That's why we need both. We Not only do we need the Word of God, but we also need the Holy Spirit. And we can't have one without the other. Sometimes people try to have a Holy Spirit experience without the Word of God, and you can't have that. But when you have the Word of God, you should also usher in and be open to the Holy Spirit falling upon us as a church. Well, it says here in chapter 7 that now they're going to not rebuild because they already started the rebuilding in the first six chapters, but they're going to now see revival. And if you want to see revival, it takes place. What do we say? Brokenness is the beginning, or it's the gateway of revival. Brokenness, when you're broken before the Lord. But the Word of God, but prayer, but the Holy Spirit will maintain revival. See, revival only start, can start with brokenness, but it needs the Holy Spirit. It needs the, the Word of God. It needs prayer to be able to maintain it and cultivate it and keep it going. That's why we need the Spirit of God inside of us. That's when we need the Word of God inside of us. I love what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says that prophecy never came by the will of man. Prophecy and the Word of God never came because man was smart enough and they thought about the Word of God on their own. But it says that holy men of God spoke when they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit, what does it do? It moves you to speak the Word of God. It moves you so the Word of God can have an effect in your life and in your heart. That's exactly why we need the Word of God. Because the, and, and the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is what moves and ushers the Word of God into your heart. Sometimes you're asking yourself, well, Lord, I haven't heard from you in a while. You ask the Spirit, Lord, send your Spirit right now so that when I read your Word, I want it to minister to me. 
The Word of God is used to, be, to minister to you, but because of the Spirit of God. And sometimes we ask the Lord, Lord, we want change in our life. Right here, you're going to see a change happen. You're going to see them reclaim the promises of God. Absolutely. You want change happen? Then study the Bible. Then pray. Then ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit if you want change. Today, if you want change, ask the Lord, Lord, I want change, but it's going to come through your word. It's going to come through prayer, and it's going to come only through the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does Ezra do here? He communicates the word of God. He communicates the way of God, and He communicates the heart of God. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need Your Holy Spirit. We need Your Spirit to speak to us, because it's going to communicate the Word of God. It's going to communicate the heart of God, and it's going to communicate the way of God. And that's why we need it, because we need the Spirit of God to show us. The Holy Spirit always does one thing. It points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And that's what people need. They need Jesus. And Jesus is only revealed in the Bible. Jesus is not revealed in anything else. Jesus is revealed in the Bible. And you see that Ezra, now through Ezra, through the type of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is ushered here. And guess what they're able to see? There's a revival here. And there's also an awakening. Well, some of us need an awakening today. Right? Some of us need a revival. That happens as the Spirit of God starts to work in our lives. It says here, let's read it quickly through the first six verses. As we got an introduction of it, it says, Now these things, in the reign of Arxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahidabah, the son of Amariah, the son of Ahaziah, the son of Mariah, the son of Zerariah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishai, the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest. This Ezra now, it gives us his heritage. It gives us his genealogy. Because we learned last week that your heritage says more about God's faithfulness than it says about you. <laughs> when you study your family tree and you find out that this is where you're at, it tell, that speaks more about God's faithfulness than it, tell, it talks about you. Because God has preserved you. He's always been faithful through your family, through, you, through the children, through the families. I think about it myself. When I think about my family and my parents' family, and to think about how crazy and wild God is, that He had a plan back in the day so that we can end up where we are today. God is faithful, isn't He? When I think about it, and it blows me in. When I think about, you know, that I was born and raised in Pomona, right? And that in 1953, Rihanna's grandma moved into Rosemead. I, it blows me away because in 1953, God knew what would happen here in 2019 that we would be sitting here. And He had a purpose and a reason on why family after family after family, He spoke of God's faithfulness because today He had a purpose and a plan. Isn't that amazing? You see, you see God's faithfulness. You see that God keeps His promises. And, and, and we have to learn to be able to wait for His promises. And now you see, after all those generations, here God ushers in Ezra. And who is Ezra? He's a student of God's Word. This Ezra came up from Babylon. And he was, skilled, he was a skilled scribe. Skilled means not only he was a student, but he was well-versed. He was studied. That's what skilled means. It means that he understood the Word of God easily. He can maneuver in the Word of God and understand and pick up and interpret the Word of God easily. And that's why he was skilled. But the only the, the skilling came because God gave him that ability, but also because that was a fruit of a life that was devoted to God. 
And it says here that he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses or in the word of God, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests. He was a man of the word of God, and the king opened up every door that he wanted to, this unbelieving king, because this man, Ezra, had the hand of God upon him. You see, the hand of God is what opens doors. It's not your hand that opens a door. It's not your hand that necessarily guides. It's not your hand that protects. Sometimes as men, we think that we are the provider. No, God is the provider. He so chooses to use you to provide. And that's amazing. God is the protector, but He'll use you to protect. God is the one that guides, but He'll use you to be able to lead and guide your family. And here we see that the hand of God is upon a man that loves the Word of God. You want the hand of God upon you, then the Word of God has to go inside you. What is the priest's duties? He had three duties, the priest, to preserve the Word of God. He needed to protect the Word of God. He needed to make sure that the Word of God was maintained. To teach the Word of God. He needed not only preserve it, but also teach it to other people. And also to administrate it, to make sure that as many people as possibly can have the Word of God would have it. And God raises a man up that loves His Word because He needs people to know His Word as well. And this is amazing here that Ezra becomes skilled because he's devoted to the Word of God. He does his part. God gives him an ability to understand. He does his part in the application piece. When God has given you an ability to understand, to interpret, and here he interprets Ezra everything. Now you have a responsibility to apply that understanding and that interpretation. Think about the gifts that God has given you. Or the open doors because of the hand of God that He's given you. The places where He's put you today. God has put you there for a reason. Have you done your part? Have you done your part? Have you become skilled in the area that He's given you? God gave Ezra the area of the Word of God. And he became skilled in that area where God had put him. Where does God put you today? Where, what has He given you? What has He put right in front of you? What has He given you? For Ezra, it was the Word of God. So Ezra became skilled. He became the best of what God had given him. And the hand of God was upon him. That's the difference maker. The hand of God. In every situation, you're going to see right now from, from verses 7 to verse here, 28, that the difference maker in every situation, it's not how much you knew. It's not how much experience you had. The difference maker in your situation is the hand of God. Lord, the doctor says this, but the hand of God says something else. Our finances look one way, but the hand of God can move the, the other way. Because it's about the hand of God. You know why sometimes we don't see the hand of God? Because we have our hands too involved in it. <laughs> and sometimes we need to get our hands away. Get your hands off of that. <laughs> Let the hand of God be involved. Let Him move. Let Him maneuver. Let Him crush. Let Him build. God's not going to go in there and play, you know, and try to slap your hand out of the way. No, get your hand out of there. Let the hand of God come in and let the hand of God do what it needs to do. That's the difference maker. You know what the hand of God does? It does three things. And I want you to know that through the Spirit of God. It protects, number one. It guides, number two. And it provides, number three, in this chapter. It does much more than that. But in this chapter, we're going to see that the hand of God protects, guides, and provides. The hand of God protects, the hand of God guides, and the hand of God provides. I'm saying this because I want you to remember this tomorrow when you're freaking out. <laughs> the hand of God protects, 
The hand of God guides and the hand of God provides. And how do you have the hand of God? When you go to His Word, His Word's inside you, His hand of God, the hand of God is upon you. That it says here that the skilled now scribe was here and the king now granted him all his requests according to the hand of God, the Lord that was upon him. Why did it, doors were open? Because the hand of God was upon him. The doors weren't open because of Ezra. The doors were open because of the hand of God. Is the, the doors are not open to whatever we're doing because of us. The doors are open because God has His hand on there. And He says, I'm going to open that door with my hand. And that's exactly why all the requests are going to be fulfilled. And just like the Lord opens with His hand a door, with His same hand that He opened that door, remember, He also can close the door. Sometimes we ask the Lord, you know what? The hand of God is not upon this, that door is closed. The same hand that opens doors is the same hand that closes doors as well. And we have to remember that. Because when you know that, it brings you to a place of perfect peace. I have perfect peace right now because the same hand that opens doors is the same one that closed this one. And now here it says in verse 7, some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites here, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nathanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Xerxes. What's taking place here? He's going now. They're rebuilding, but they don't have the spiritual rebuilding yet. They've moved in. They're rebuilding, they're manufacturing now, they're overcoming opposition, but what about the spiritual peace? We can be doing all the physical things, building outwardly, but He's going to come with the real source of power here that they need, it's the Word of God. And that's why He's being sent from Babylon to Jerusalem, and here you see a second wave of people that decided to stay back in Babylon, that didn't want to step out, now you see them follow Him. Doesn't mean it's all of them, but a second wave of people now that stayed back when the initial uh, now uh, exodus here from Babylon to Jerusalem went, some people stayed back. They said, I'd rather be com comfortable in captivity. Now this second wave now follows Ezra and he takes them. He, he chaperones them as the helper and he guides them into the promised land. Back into Jerusalem. Back where they belong. Doesn't, don't we need the Holy Spirit of, to guide us back to where we belong? Because sometimes we don't want to step out. We want to be comfortable in our own space. But it says here now that the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers here, they all went and they followed him now to Jerusalem. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began his journey. This is important, the journey. And here, the journey doesn't only happen. The journey doesn't only take place. I want you to know this. The journey doesn't, it's not only about the journey, the, the destination, but it's also about the journey. The journey is just as important as the destination. In chapter 8, you learn a little bit more about their journey, what they did. The journey is just as important as the destination because it's the process of God teaching you before He takes you there. Before He gets you there. And sometimes we want to rush that journey because we want to just arrive. And God is saying, I'm, I'm taking my time because I want to make sure that when you get there, you actually can handle where you're at. And it says here now, in the first day of the first month, He began His journey, it says here now, from Babylon. And on the first day of the first month, He came to Jerusalem according to the good hand. Second time here, pay attention here please. Verse 9, according to the good hand of of His God upon Him. Isn't this amazing? 
Why did he show first? What, why, were, why was the, the, the king opening those doors for him? Because the hand of God was upon him. Why did he actually get to the finish line? Why did he actually get to the destination? Here it tells us in verse 9, because of the good hand, because of the gracious hand of God that was upon him. Number one, he started with the hand of God upon him, and he actually finished, and he got there, and he arrived with the hand of God upon him. What does this show us? That he didn't want to leave the hand of God. The king granted him his request. And in the favor of God towards Jerusalem, the favor of God towards the Jewish people was evident in the great generosity of what the king's about to do. The king's about to open up these doors, not because of Ezra, but because of the hand of God. But you see why the hand of God was upon him in this next verse, verse 10. Because it says that the hand of God was upon Ezra. And the hand of God wants to be, and the hand of God is upon you as you move with and journey with, as he's going to journey here, and he journeyed with purpose. Oh, it's so important. I love that word purpose because it speaks about how and where you're going to be, your purpose. You know what his purpose was? The word of God. What is your purpose today? Your purpose must be, your purpose must be, and your purpose must be the word of God. When your purpose is the Word of God and you're motivated by the Word of God, God is going to open the doors of anything that you, He's called you to do. He will open those doors wide open because His hand wants to take His Word into those places. And now the hand of God wants to take His Word into Jerusalem to rebuild it, to revive it spiritually. Not only physically, we don't only need a physical restoration, we need a spiritual restoration because that's what makes things last. And he was moving with purpose, and it's said here in verse 10, it speaks about what we need to do. It speaks about three now core things that Ezra did in order to get himself to where he was at. It speaks about three now th disciplines that Ezra used that would make him different than any other now revival that took place here. It was ushered through the Word of God. And we see here now, verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. That's number one. Have you prepared yourself to seek the law of the Lord? Number one, he prepared himself. You know what happens when preparation meets opportunity? You're able to execute on what God's called you to do. You've prepared yourself. You've studied, you've disciplined, you're skilled in that which God has given you. You have prepared yourself now the opportunity here to do other, two other things. And you know that word here, preparation, it comes from the word determined or to make ready. What did he determine or what did he make ready? It said, his heart. You want to you see a change? Then prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. That's when we come to church the worship piece of it, I love it. It's not, you know, some people come to church and say, you know, well, yeah, it's all right, it's 7.30, it's okay because of the fact that, you know, they haven't started yet, just the music. No, the worship is to prepare your heart for the Word of God. The prayer is to prepare your heart for the Word of God so that you can receive it. What did he prepare his heart to do? To study the Bible. You see the preparation, number one. If you want to be used by God, there's preparation that has to take place. Are you preparing your heart so that you can be used by God? And it starts with preparation. Prepare your heart. Number one, it says, He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Number two, not only to seek it, but also number two, to do it. 
Right? Let's read that verse in verse 10. It says here, To seek the Lord of the Lord and to do it. He wanted to prepare his heart. Number one, the preparation. Number two, he wanted to do the Bible. He wanted to study the Bible. Then he wanted to do the Bible. It starts with the preparation. And then it goes to the application. Right? Study the Bible. Do the Bible. Lord, I want you to use me. Study the Bible. Then do the Bible. Preparation. Application. He wants to see, He's prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He prepared his heart because he needed his heart to be prepared to receive the word of God. And then, once you receive the word of God, and once you obey the word of God, guess what it moves you to do? That third thing, and it says here, and to teach the statues and the ordinance in Israel. See, what is it that we need today more than ever? We need to study the Bible. We need to do the Bible, and we need to teach the Bible. We need to study the Bible as Ezra in verse 10, prepare a heart to study the Bible. I want to prepare my heart to study the Bible here like Ezra. We should have that desire. Then number two, I want to prepare my heart to do the Bible. And number three, not only do I want to now study it and do it, but number three, I want to also teach the Bible. What do you see in every effective leader? You see these three qualities. Preparation. Number one, application. Number two, and communication. Number three. And I want you to remember those things because that's what he's doing in verse 10. He is preparing himself, number one. He is applying himself, number two. And then number three, he's going to communicate the word of God. And we see this threefold intention that Ezra has that he came to seek he came to do and he came to teach. That's why he went to Jerusalem. He went to seek, he went to teach, and he went to do. What, what did he want to seek, teach, and do? The Word of God. You see, in the New Living Translation, it reached this verse like this. It says, this is because Ezra had determined to study. Because Ezra had determined to obey. And because Ezra had determined to teach the regulations and the decrees to the people of now Israel. This is essential. This is essential to anybody that wants to make an impact. You want to make an impact in your family, in your relationships, at work, and whatever it is that God has called you, then study the Bible. Then do the Bible. Then teach the Bible. And it's going to make a big impact right where you are. The greatest impact to the nation of Jerusalem at this time came because Ezra prepared his heart. He prepared his heart to study. He prepared his heart now to do. And he prepared his heart also to teach. Don't you like this progressive agenda? You're looking for change. You want change. You want revival. You want the Lord to do something in your heart, in your life, in your family. You want to see an impact. You want to see the Lord do something mighty and big. And sometimes we want all of that stuff, but without the substance. This is substance. This is foundational. You can't have all the other things without doing these core foundational things. If in any sport that you try to go play, in any type of hobby or practice that you need to do, you have to learn the foundations. And if you learn the foundations, then you're able to do the combinations. <laughs> then you're able to do everything else because you've learned the foundations. And here Ezra is doing the foundation. The foundation has to be the Word of God. And you think about it, what was the first thing? If you want a full impact with the Word of God, 
then study the Word of God. Be diligent to fellowship with God, the God of His Word, the God of the Word of God, and fellowship in His Word. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, what does it tell us? And you will seek me and you will find me when you search with me, search for me with all your heart. Seek him that way. Because Ezra says that he went to seek. He went to do and then he went to teach. What did he do? The second thing he went to do? He had a full impact with the word of God here. And the full impact with the word of God is not only by those that only hear. Before you seek, prepare your heart. Then you are able to seek. And after you seek, you understand, you interpret, you apply the foundations. Then it moves you to obey them. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to obey. I don't only want to know the pages of this book. I also, by the Holy Spirit, want the power to obey what I read. That's why we need it. To obey what I, re- what I read. And you know what's important here? Because you want to teach the Bible. Before you teach it to anyone, you have to live it yourself. I remember when it was told to me for the very first time, you know, there's more than one way to give a message. Your lifestyle is your first sermon. Your first sermon is when people hear you speak. When people see the way you live. They see you doing the Bible. You see, it has been said before, you've never really studied the Bible until you have lived the Bible. You have to put shoes on it and make it walk. When was the last time you put shoes on it and make it, made it walk? Right? You read your devotional and, and you read it in the morning and said, Alright Lord, give me the power to put shoes on this now. And to make it walk now and flesh this thing out. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, what is now the Lord encouraged Joshua with? God encouraged Joshua with the Word of God. <laughs> That's amazing. You want encouragement? It comes in the Word of God. He says, This book shall not depart from your mouth. I don't want you to stop speaking about this. I don't want you to start coming in of, into your heart and out of your mouth, the Word of God. And I want you to meditate on it day and night, that you may observe or that you may do all the things according to what's written in it. Do everything that you read. Do it. Because if you do, it's going to make your way prosperous. And you will have good success. You see, it's not saying that just because you read the Bible, everything's going to go out. But you're going to be living in God's will. Because you're going to be obeying it. And if you're obeying it, God's going to bless your obedience. And when He blesses your obedience, then you've done one other thing. You're able to now teach the Word of God. Not only in seeking, not only in doing, but also in teaching. Who are you teaching the Bible to right now? You see, you don't have a desire to teach if you haven't been taught yourself. And the number one teacher, the number one counselor, the number one commentator is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's teaching you, guess what you want to do? You want to teach others the Word of God. God has not only called you to seek it, God has not only called you to do it, God has also called you to teach it. Teach what? The Word of God. Don't try to teach other things that are going to have only temporary satisfaction. Teach the Word of God. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it says, All Scripture, everything in the Bible, is given by inspiration of God. God has given it to this us so that we can profit from the Bible for doctrine, for truth, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does this mean? That people need the Bible. 
The church needs the Bible. The Christians need the Bible. The world needs the Bible. The world doesn't need an entertainer. It doesn't need a, a personality. It doesn't need a charismatic communicator. It doesn't need production. The world needs the Word of God. So many times we're wowed by production. We're wowed by communicators. We're wowed by charism- a charismatic movement. None of that will ever supplement the Word of God. None, no new tricks, no strategy, no program will ever supplement us seeking, doing, and teaching the Bible. That's the philosophy of ministry. You want to know the philosophy of ministry? It's that. Seeking, doing, and teaching the Bible. And you know what the Bible does? It, it, it really opens our eyes to see Jesus. It opens your eyes to see Jesus. In Psalms 119, 118, you know what the psalmist says? The entire Psalms 119 talks about the Word of God. But he, when he gets to 118, he says this, You reject all those who stray away from your statues or from the Bible, for their deceit is falsehood. What is it saying? That God puts His hand upon those that stay close to the Word of God, but the Lord will not bless, and He will not have His hand upon something that is not seeking, doing, and teaching the Word of God. We have to set our hearts to learn the Scriptures, And to settle for nothing less. Are you settling for anything less than the Bible today? Settling for anything less than God speaking to you through the Bible. It says here now in verse 11. This is the copy of the letter that King Xerxes gave Ezra. The priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and His statutes to Israel. What was Ezra now? He was an expert. In in communicating not only that, but in teaching it and doing it. He was an expert in the Word of God now. And it says, this is the copy of the letter that the king gave to Ezra, so that Ezra can take as he journeyed now to Jerusalem. Now you see the favor and the blessing because of the philosophy and the foundation of ministry. What's the foundation of what you do today? You see this open door from verse 12 and on. Look what it says that the letter says. It says, verse 12, Arxerxes, the king of kings, to Ezra the priest, describe the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. Now he has the permits in his hand to go to Jerusalem and to teach it, to do it, to seek the word of God. He was studied now and he's saying anybody who wants to volunteer... Go now. Those who have not stepped out, you have full permission to go. He's encouraging them to go. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. I want you to go and tell me the situation of Judah. And I want you to tell me the situation, what's taking place in Jerusalem with the law of your God that you have. This is the permit that he's giving them. Whereas you are to carry the silver... You are to carry the gold. Look, He's giving them the money. I want you to take the money now. What does the hand of God do? It protects. The hand of God guides. Number three, the hand of God provides. This is awesome. I want you to carry silver and gold with the kings, the counselors, that we have freely offered to God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. What was the money for here in verse 16? Whereas all the silver and the gold that you may find in the province of Babylon... Everything that you find here in Babylon, everything that, the, that we have here now in, in captivity, I want you to take it as much as you need. Along with the free will offering of the people and the priests are to freely offer for the house of their God in Jerusalem. 
Isn't that awesome? That he was providing from his own money, the king, who is an unbeliever. God will use an unbeliever's funds to be able to fund his work if he wants to. And it says here now, what does it say? Verse 17. Now therefore, be careful. Buy with this money bulls. I love what he says, be careful. Are you careful with the money that you have in your hand? Are you careful with the money? God has given you money to use for his house. Are you careful with it? Or do you do whatever you want with that money? Be careful now to buy here with the money, this bulls here, rams, lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on, on the altar of the house of your God in, Israel, in Jerusalem. Is the money that God has given you, are you careful to use it so that you can put something on the altar? <laughs> Get the money to purchase things to put it on the altar of God. Lord, the funds that you've given us, we want to be careful with them because we want to use them for the purpose of the house of God so we can provide something and put something on the altar. See, what God's put in your hands is so that you can put something on the altar. And it says here, and whatever seems good to you and to your brethren, do with the rest. He says, and if there's some left over, some money left over, whatever seems good to you, whatever you think with your understanding, it says here, do with whatever you need to do with that rest. Do it according to the will of your God. This is important here. He's given the money. He says, I want you to use it for offerings. I want you to use it for the altar. I want you to be careful. And once you've done that, once you've done, the first thing is to do with the money. The first thing to do is to offer offerings to the house of God. Let it build. Whatever you have rest, whatever is, rest, uh, is left over, and what the rest, it says here, verse 18, this is important. So we know what to do with the rest. We've given to God the first. What do I do with the rest? <laughs> I gave God my first. I gave God my best. What do I do with the rest? It says here, with the rest, do it according to the will of your God. What does it mean by that? It means that the rest, I'm still held accountable what I do with it. It doesn't say I'm doing with the first, I give to God, and whatever I want, I do with the rest. Do it, use the funds, the rest of the money. Use it according to the will of God. Don't misuse it. Don't waste it. Use it according to the will of God. You brought the first to God. What do I do with the rest? I use it according to the will of God. Also the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of God. All the instruments. All the tools for the house of God. Deliver in full. I love it. Don't hold anything back. Deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of God. Which you may have occasion to provide. Is there anything that's needed in the house of God that maybe you have and you can't provide? Is there anything that you have that maybe the house of God would need? Pay for it from the king's treasury. Oh, I love that. Because the king is saying, you know what? Take it and put it on my tab. This is amazing that he takes ownership. He says, you know what? God here is providing because the hand of God is upon Ezra now. And I, even I, Xerxes, the king issued a decree to all the treasures who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra, the priest, described the law of God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently. God is opening up doors here for Ezra. Whatever he needs to build the house of God, then let it be done diligently. Let it be done faithfully here. Let it be done with an unlimited supply. Why? Because where God guides to Jerusalem, God provides on the way there to Jerusalem. Where God guides, God also provides. There is an unlimited supply. 
You see, finance and money should never be the reason why you don't do ministry. That should never hold us back. Say, let it be done faithfully. Let it be done diligently. Let it be done with an unlimited supply. That nothing would hold them back. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cords of wheat, 100 bats of wine, 100 bats of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Oh, isn't that amazing? What if you, you said, Lord, I don't have a prescribed limit. Whatever I have, if you need it, here it is. No prescribed limit. I'm not going to put a limit to what God can use with what I have. I am not going to put a limit here on what God can do with what we have. And it says here, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done diligently, let it be done faithfully to the house of God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? You know what he knew? He knew that he had to either be for God or God was going to be against him. And he's learning to submit this king. He's saying, you know what? He believed that this was good and safe policy for his kingdom. The only way his kingdom was going to stand if he supported a bigger kingdom than his, and that was the kingdom of God. And he's saying, you know, why should the wrath of God be against me? No. Why should I stand in the way of what God wants to do? No. Take it out of my money. Take it out of my treasuries. Right? Look at the favor of God of when you seek the Bible, when you do the Bible, and when you teach the Bible. That's the philosophy of ministry. It's not entertainment. It's not trying to wow people. The Word of God is the X factor. It is the main attraction. You don't have to try to hype it up with other things. That is the big thing. <laughs> the Word of God. And then it says now, verse 24, And we inform you that you shall not, it, sh it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on the priest, the Levite, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, or the servants of the house of God. What it said, Do not charge taxes to the house of God or to those that work in the house of God. Do not impose taxes. This is where we get. Did you know that even today as we stand that, that the churches do not get imposed taxes? Where did it come from? Well, we got our judicial laws and executive laws from God's Word at one time, believe it or not. And this is the, where they drew these verses from and they were not imposing any taxes even up to this day, you know, by God's grace on the church. And you Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, God had given him wisdom. According to your God-given wisdom. It says here, set magistrates, set up a leadership, set judges who may judge the people and who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of God. You know what kind of people he needed to set for leaders? Those that knew the Bible. You want to be, serve as a leader to be set as a judge or to be set as one over others, as a magistrate? You know, he said, with the God-given wisdom, and where does that wisdom come from? God's Spirit, from God's Word, because God's Word has given you the discernment and God's Spirit has shown you. Now set up people that know the Word of God and can teach those who don't know them. You see, you want to lead someone, you have to know the Word of God so that you can teach them. You can't take someone to a place that you've never been. You have to master the foundations. You have to master the foundation. This is the, the Word of God. And whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment, or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Just imagine that. The king said, if somebody's going to stand in the way of this, there's going to be consequences to those who obey, and there's going to be a speedy judgment. What is it going to be? Confiscation. Just imagine somebody comes and takes your stuff. Banishment, excommunication, it says here now. Or imprisonment for those that want to stand in the way of others teaching the Bible. 
See, you want to be set up, you want to set up leaders. He said, set up leaders that know the word of God and that can teach the word of God to other people. Now in verse 27, look at this is, after Ezra read this letter, think about how he felt. Man, he could not feel more encouraged to know that he had the support, not of the king, but he had the support that came from God. It wasn't the king. It was God behind that king. It was the hand of God upon Ezra. And look at what, this is what Ezra does. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such, here it says, such a thing in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Praise God that he put that in the heart of the king so now we can beautify the house of God in Jerusalem. Can you praise God that he moves you in the heart of kings? Even the heart of leaders, even the heart of presidents, even the heart of those that lead our nation, our country. Why? Because God's the one that's in control. It's not man, it's God. Sometimes we think it's man, it's not man, it is God. You know, it, it doesn't you know, matter if that person is ruling because God is always overruling. And it says it here. This is to praise God that He put that desire that the king would want to beautify and the work of God can be accomplished now. And he's blessing, he's praising God. Verse 28, And has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. God has extended mercy over Ezra before man. You know, when God has ever placed you before somebody where you can demonstrate or have a voice, have an influence, have some type of leadership, have some type of position or title. God's put you there on that platform. And He's extended mercy to you on that platform. Before those people, He's extended mercy only for one reason. For the seeking, for the doing, and for the teaching. The only reason why these doors were open is so that He can continue seeking, so that He can continue doing, and that He can continue teaching the Word of God. So I was encouraged. Verse 28. Oh, this is amazing. I was encouraged. He made him worse of encouragement. You want encouragement? This is the encouragement as the hand. Here we go, the hand of God. You know what encourages him? It's the hand of God. Not only was he encouraged because of the king, he said, moreover, it's more important. It's not simply the king. It's not because of the king. It's because of the hand of God that's upon him. Because the hand of the Lord was upon me. You know why he was encouraged? Not because he got the job. Not because he got the money. Not because the king liked him. Sometimes we think, you know what? Oh, that person liked me. That person liked the way I did this. Or the way I served in this capacity. Or they approved me the way I served this capacity. It's not about that. It's much bigger than that. It's the hand of God upon you. Because that's when the anointing is upon you. That's when the Lord starts to open the doors for usefulness. And it says here, Because the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. He praised God for this, for the gracious hand was upon him. What was he encouraged? Not because of the support of the king, because of the support of the Lord. The Lord was funding this. This was evidence of God supporting and blessing this work. Because Ezra was doing what? He was doing one thing. He was being loyal to the word of God. Are you being loyal to the word of God today? That God can bless it. That God can put his hand upon it. God wants to put his hand upon that. He wants to bless that. He wants to fund it. He wants to protect it. He wants to guide it. He wants to provide for it. Because you're being loyal to His Word. You know when the greatest revivals happen? The greatest revivals happen is when God is revealed to you. And that only happens when you're in His Word. You want God to reveal Himself to you? Then get into His Word. Psalms 119, 135. He says, Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your ways. 
your statutes. Make your face shine. Psalms 119, 135. Make your face shine upon me and teach me your word. Psalms 119, 173 says this. Let your hand become my help. Today we need His hand upon us to be our help. Let your hand be on my, be, become my help. Let your hand be here today, Lord. Let your hand be in my marriage. Let your hand be in my situation. Let your hand be in my finances. Let your hand be in, even in my work. Let your hand become my help. I want your hands. I don't want my hands. My hands can only go so far. And then I need the hand of God. <laughs> because my hands will always come up short if it's not the hand of God. You think that your hands are strong enough to get the job done. They're not. You need the hand of God. And it says, For I have chosen your precepts. Have, chosen, have you chosen your hands or have you chosen the hands of God? Lord, today, we want your hand upon us. And we also want your word inside us. Let's spend some time praying.